This is Recovery Support with Kevin Bergen, brought to you by CCRG, the Center for Counseling, Recovery, and Growth. Today we're going back to the third show I ever recorded for Recovery Support to hear about the why, the why of the 12 steps. More generally, why seek recovery? This recording takes us back to May of 2009, and you'll hear lots from the S.A. White book. If you're an alcoholic, there's Alcoholics Anonymous, or AA. If you're addicted to gambling, there's Gamblers Anonymous, or GA. For drug users, there's N.A., Narcotics Anonymous. But if you're faced with a sex addiction, you can choose from several S groups. There's S.A., S.A.A., S.C.A., S-L-A-A, and others. The two most prominent fellowships for sex addiction are Sexaholics Anonymous, or S-A, and Sex Addicts Anonymous, or S-A-A. The main difference between the two is the definition of sobriety that each uses. S-A has a straightforward sobriety definition that applies to everyone. Quote, No sex with self or anyone outside of marriage and progressive victory over lust. In SAA, each person establishes their own definition of sobriety, preferably with a sponsor, and they don't feel that thoughts or fantasies impact sobriety. With that background, let's join this recovery support classic called Not Just Sobriety. The 12 steps are so much more than simple sobriety. That's the first thing that most people come to the 12 steps for is getting sobriety, stopping their acting out, whether it's sexual acting out, gambling, cocaine, alcohol, whatever it is that they're going to a 12-step program for. But sobriety is just the beginning. Sobriety is something that we always want to work on, but there's so much more to be gained. A lot of people say, I'm not really an addict, I don't need to do the 12 steps. My contention is this, even if you're not an addict, the 12 steps offer so much more than simple sobriety that anybody would be well served by working the steps and taking into their life the improvements that the 12 steps offer. We're going to start again today by reading The Problem from page 203 of the S.A. White Book. Many of us felt inadequate, unworthy, alone, and afraid. Our insides never matched what we saw on the outsides of others. Early on, we came to feel disconnected from parents, from peers, from ourselves. We tuned out with fantasy and masturbation. We plugged in by drinking in the pictures, the images, and pursuing the objects of our fantasies. We lusted and wanted to be lusted after. We became true addicts, sex with self, promiscuity, adultery, dependency relationships, and more fantasy. We got it through the eyes. We bought it. We sold it. We traded it. We gave it away. We were addicted to the intrigue, the tease, the forbidden. The only way we knew to be free of it was to do it. Please connect with me and make me whole, we cried with outstretched arms. 
lusting after the big fix, we gave away our power to others. This produced guilt, self-hatred, remorse, emptiness, and pain, and we were driven ever inward, away from reality, away from love, lost inside ourselves. Our habit made true intimacy impossible. We could never know real union with another because we were addicted to the unreal. We went for the chemistry, the connection that had the magic, because it bypassed intimacy and true union. Fantasy corrupted the real. Lust killed love. First addicts, then love cripples, we took from others to fill up what was lacking in ourselves conning ourselves time and again that the next one would save us. We were really losing our lives. So what is there more that the 12 steps offer than simple sobriety? I'm going to read a passage from the introduction to Dr. Alan Berger's book, 12 Stupid Things That Mess Up Recovery. On page 6 in his introduction, he says, Let's face a difficult and painful truth. Most of us don't know how to live an authentic, effective, healthy, and fulfilling life. This fact is obvious, but we resist seeing it and facing it. We don't want to see our limitations. We don't want to face our shortcomings because that means we'll have to do something about them. We'll have to work at getting and learning new information. We'll have to ask for help. Men and women are equally inept when it comes to knowing how to live a balanced and satisfying life. Our unreasonable expectations create a false pride that prohibits us from letting others know that we do not have the answers, that we need help. Some of us try to become needless or wantless When our false pride is in charge, ignorance becomes something of which to be ashamed. Being ignorant doesn't fit with our self-image, so we disown it. We become more concerned with saving face rather than saving our behinds. That's what Dr. Alan Berger says in 12 Stupid Things That Mess Up Recovery, and it speaks very much to what I'm talking about here today. None of us really know how to live an effective, authentic, healthy, fulfilling life. So that's so much of what the 12 steps offer us, much more than simple sobriety. I'd like to continue now with some readings from the White Book that talk about the elements of the spiritual process that we go through when we do the 12 steps. These are some of the things that hold us back in our lives. Whether we're an addict or not, these are some of the things that the 12-step program addresses for us. On page 50 of the essay White Book, an attitude change. A change of attitude sets the course for our addiction. It is nothing less than a change of heart. It may take place suddenly or slowly over time. And it can happen at any time, though usually very early in childhood or adolescence. In many of us, our sexual misbehavior seems to have been the focal point for rebellion against authority. 
Under the surface, many a sexaholic is seething with resentment, hostility, anger, envy, rebellion, and rage. We may not be consciously aware of it or of the powerful life-altering significance of such a disposition, but the more we discover about this aspect of our condition, the more we realize that our behavior was the manifestation of inner attitudes and thoughts. To put it another way, our attitudes enabled the addiction. External conditions did not really make us what we are. Our attitude toward those conditions shaped our response. Attitude transcends the externals. Attitude makes the person. We are what we think. Thus, we create our own predisposition to addiction. Now, skipping forward to page 52, I'm going to read about self-obsession. As we make the conscious, spiritual choices setting into motion the addictive process, we become increasingly selfish and self-centered. A rebellious attitude sets in with or without pseudo-compliance on the surface. In order to keep from looking at ourselves, we find fault with those closest to us as well as with the institutions ministering to our needs. All we can see are the inadequacies, wrongs, and injustices of others. We become increasingly closed off and defensive, unteachable and willful, and a kind of hardening sets in. Obsession with self is a negative spiritual attitude and force. Though the world outside may not see it as such, our spouses, children, fellow workers, cats, dogs, no different. Our self-obsession takes different forms, from one in plain view to the covered, where it is disguised under passivity and the appearance of gentleness or pseudo-concern. The greater the self-obsession, the greater the con to disguise it. It prevents us from detecting the emerging flaws that later will turn into cracks and disastrous fissures in the reservoir of the self. And self-obsession inevitably produces spiritual blindness. To keep from seeing ourselves, we seize on the wrongs of others. Most difficult for us to see was that being obsessed with self meant we had become the source of our own lives, our own God. We were the most important person in our world. Thus, we had to connect with ourselves. We became addicted to ourselves. No wonder so many of us found masturbation to be infinitely more than childhood experimentation. It got us high on ourselves, short-circuiting any meaningful connection with others and God. In our great and lofty pursuits of finding our lives, we shut out the possibility of ever receiving life. Quote, The program people showed it to me. I'm high on myself. I'm sitting there talking about myself and my wife and my job and those people out there. And I'm the center of the universe and can't see that that's the problem. It got to be awful lonely sitting on that throne of God. Unquote. Recovery support with Kevin Bergen is made possible by CCRG the Center for Counseling, Recovery, and Growth. Visit us at centercrg.com and by Guy Stuff at CCRG, where counseling and coaching, including online video coaching, 
is made comfortable for men. GuyStuffCenter.com Continuing here in the White Book on page 53, we come to the section called Separation. From our very first attitude change, we isolate ourselves. We start building a wall around us, especially between us and those we are close to. It may appear that just the opposite is true. We can be outgoing, warm, personable, charming, lovable, and kind as long as it serves the self. The reality of the matter is simply that we cannot hang on to resentments or practice our addiction without negating true union. At the same time, we are separating ourselves from God. Our way of life sets us on a course away from instead of toward. And this is inevitably true, even though we may still be fervently engaging in religious exercises or having spiritual experiences or are sober in other programs. This process has an even more insidious aspect, separation from ourselves. We start moving farther and farther away from that part of ourselves that has the light, until we may finally lose it. The duplicity of holding resentments on the inside while being something else on the outside creates a split that not only isolates us from others, but from our true selves separation at the very core of our being. No wonder we start having so much trouble with our mental health. We push the light, truth about ourselves and others, farther and farther away until finally, when none gets through the shield of self-will, the darkness descends. The result is isolation, alienation, depression, and disunion within ourselves. Is not this an insanity all its own? Thus, we lose ourselves. So far in the White Book today, we've talked about attitude changes, self-obsession, separation, those things can be addressed and helped from the 12 steps, improving our lives so much more than simple sobriety. This last section on separation is further clarified by Dr. Alan Berger, again in his book, 12 Stupid Things That Mess Up Recovery. He talks about self-hate. On page 11 of his introduction, he says self-hate is the next culprit to consider. This is one of the most frequently undiagnosed causes of self-destructive behavior. Self-hate begins when we don't live up to being the person we think we should be. We all develop an idealized image of who we are supposed to be. We rarely question this standard. We accept it wholeheartedly and uncritically. As this idealized image is established, we also develop a pride system that demands we live up to these standards. When we don't live up to our shoulds, we despise ourselves. We hate ourselves for being less than what we should be. Self-hate is deeply rooted in and continuously influenced by our behavior. 
even though we may not be aware of it. I am convinced that self-hate is one of the primary causes of relapse. A person simply does not feel worthy of recovery, worthy of getting better, worthy of receiving help, worthy of joy, happiness, success, freedom, and love. This leads to many direct and indirect expressions of self-hate. Undermining our recovery is one of the ways that self-hate can manifest itself in our life. To look into this subject in greater detail, please get a copy of Theodore Isaac Rubin's book, Compassion and Self-Hate, An Alternative to Despair. Dr. Berger talks about this at length in one of his recordings about self-hate, and it makes so much sense that this is one of the sources of relapse. Now, if you can address things like self-hate in your life, if you can address things like separation from yourself and from others, if you can address self-obsession, if you can address resentment, if you can find a way to adjust your attitude, to change your attitude, wouldn't those things be useful? Wouldn't they be valuable things to take away from a 12-step program? Well, that's my point. The 12-step program has so much more than simple sobriety. I challenge each one of you listening to this podcast today to stop and look and see where you are with your sobriety, where you are with your recovery. As they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, sobriety is stopping. Recovery is starting counseling with a client a little while ago. He had just lost some period of his sobriety, and he was pretty down about it. And I clarified for him that he is still in recovery. He simply reset his sobriety date, but his recovery is continuing. That's a process. He didn't stop his recovery. His relapse was part of his recovery. Another thing I find very helpful in looking at this idea of whether sobriety is the only thing that can be taken away from working the 12 steps, I take this from page 83 of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You can find this if you want to Google on the internet. You can just search Ninth Step Promises. For it's in the ninth step that the twelve steps make promises. Starting at the bottom of page 83, it says, If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people 
and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, these are promises that are amazing to me. Extravagant? The book says, no, they're not extravagant because they are realizable. This is big reason that I see to work the 12 steps. Even if you're not an addict, then go to meetings and see that what you get out of working the 12 steps will be not necessarily sobriety if you don't need sobriety because you're not an addict. But boy, your life is going to change for the better. It's going to bring you so many blessings that you can't be able to compare how life was before. If this is something that could be useful in your life, I challenge you to do the 12 steps. Attend those meetings. See a therapist. Do what you can do. For those of you who are addicts, I challenge you, there's so much more than just work that you have to do. There's blessings that come with it, promises that will be fulfilled. In closing today's podcast, I'm going to read from the essay white book, The Solution, page 204. We saw that our problem was threefold, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Healing had to come about in all three. The crucial change in attitude began when we admitted we were powerless, that our habit had us whipped. We came to meetings and withdrew from our habit. For some, this meant no sex with themselves or others, including not getting into relationships. For others, it also meant drying out and not having sex with the spouse for a time to recover from lust. We discovered that we could stop, that not feeding the hunger didn't kill us, that sex was indeed optional. There was hope for freedom, and we began to feel alive. Encouraged to continue, we turned more and more away from our isolating obsession with sex and self and turned to God and others. All this was scary. We couldn't see the path ahead, except that others had gone that way before. Each new step of surrender felt it would be off the edge into oblivion, but we took it. And instead of killing us, surrender was killing the obsession. We had stepped into the light, into a whole new way of life. The fellowship gave us monitoring and support to keep us from being overwhelmed a safe haven where we could finally face ourselves. Instead of covering our feelings with compulsive sex, we began exposing the roots of our spiritual emptiness and hunger, and the healing began. As we faced our defects, we became willing to change. Surrendering them broke the power they had over us. We began to be more comfortable with ourselves and others for the first time without our drug forgiving all who had injured us, 
and without injuring others, we tried to right our own wrongs. At each amends, more of the dreadful load of guilt dropped from our shoulders until we could lift our heads, look the world in the eye, and stand free. We began practicing a positive sobriety, taking the actions of love to improve our relations with others. We were learning how to give, and the measure we gave was the measure we got back. We were finding what none of the substitutes had ever supplied. We were making the real connection. We were home. Now, that was one of the three original episodes released together to launch the Recovery Support Podcast. I hope each of you gleans something that fits for your recovery journey, regardless of what addiction you struggle with. Here's a special invitation to all our listeners. You may now call in with a question that you'd like me to address on the Recovery Support Podcast. Look for a future episode devoted solely to your questions. You can call now and ask your question at 310-697-8893. For international callers, you'll need to first dial the exit code from your country. To reach the United States, most countries will dial 00. So the number that you dial will be 001 310 Start calling with the questions that you'd like me to address. You can start calling at any time. Until next time, when you join me here on Recovery Support with Kevin Bergen, make yours a happy recovery.